morning. You can be seated. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I, um, I don't know if you, if how strongly your faith is, and that you realize that we wrestle against not flesh and blood, but I, we have had more distractions here this morning, and I have personally had some. Even a text message just a few mo- moments ago that. I feel like it's almost distracting because the enemy knows what we're about to talk about, that it's about Jesus. It's not about me. It has nothing to do with me, about how great I am. But the message that I'm about to, to share with you, uh, for some of you, there's no accident that you're here. I believe that with all my heart. I'm even more convinced as I sit over there. And just to be distracted by the enemy, I feel like at this time, at this moment before I come up here, something to distract me. And so my prayer as we begin, is that God would allow you and me, possibly sometimes when I preach or I teach, God may speak to me more than he does anybody else. And I've already preached this once, and I already know what's coming for the most part. Although sometimes I can stray from the notes a little bit. But I, my prayer is that we will focus, that the distractions will be limited. So don't you join me in just praying that God would speak to your heart and my heart. All right? Let's pray. God, thank you for our time today. God, um, as we sing that, make my heart believe. God, that is, uh, I feel like that's the, the prayer of my, so often in my life that I have to pray this. God, make my heart believe. Help me know that you're, that you're real, that you're living within me. When circumstances don't look like we feel like they should and we pray and we, sometimes we feel like, God, that you're not even listening. Um, it's in those times, God, that even now, all these years of knowing you, sometimes I feel like that, God, and I need even at this moment, God, make my heart believe. And God, for us this morning, all of us in this room, and even those who might be watching online, God, make our hearts believe. Help us to trust you, to know that you're real. You're not some distant God, but you're personal. You live within us. And God, I'm reminded this week as I watch the news, and I'm seeing all the things that are happening across the world in Ukraine. God, we can become numb to that, what's going on, but just a short, really not that long plane ride. There are people who have lost their lives, people who are fearing for their lives right now, people who've lost family, friends, uncertainty that's there right now, God. Um, God, we pray for our brothers and sisters there who know Jesus and God in the midst of such tragedy. There's not a word big enough to describe what's going on there, the atrocities that have gone on, Lord. I pray we'd not turn away, but God, we would say, God, we're lifting those, those friends. Those are real people. We lift them up to you, God, and pray that they would be strengthened. And God, for some of them, maybe they're questioning your even your existence. Do you even listen, God? I pray in this very moment, God, that you would give them a sense of um, the reality that, God, you're, you're still involved. It's a reminder for us that our, our enemy is, is evil. Um, and we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, it's a much bigger enemy that we have. And so, God, we lift them up and pray you would be strengthened. And, God, this morning as we talk through the word and look at a story at Palm Sunday, looking to Good Friday and looking to Easter, the greatest week for us as believers. God, we ask, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, God. Speak in, to me personally. And, God, for every person, there's no accident that they're here. I pray, Father. Um, that you would speak to, to them. In fact, why as you're sitting there, I want you to just pray that. God, speak to my heart this morning. Help me be obedient to what you say. Change my heart. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We read from Philippians, but um, 
By the way, my name's Kent. I'm one of the elders here. I don't typically, um, I'm not up here every week, but Ryan uh, graciously asked me to preach, which I love to do. And uh, so he's preaching on Friday, Good Friday, and then on Sunday morning. So that's a reminder uh, as you're turning to Luke chapter 19. Just a reminder for you. If you know Jesus, this is the best, this is the best week. It's a solemn week, but it's the best week for you. You got neighbors, you have friends, you have acquaintances that you can invite. A lot of people will come on Easter. That's great. I love Easter for that reason because they come in the door, people who may be far from God, and they're going to hear the gospel, which is the reason, by the way, that we exist. That's the reason we're here. It's because of what Jesus has done. Because he's changed many of our lives, we want to be about sharing Jesus with people. And so what better time than now than to invite people to come, your neighbor. Don't brush me off and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually do it. Invite them to come on to the Good Friday service or to on Sunday morning. we got options there, and we'd love to. Man, it's going to be packed out. Let's, we're going to share Jesus. It's, that's what's going to be the whole thing is going to be about Jesus. So some people are like, man, that's all you guys do is talk about Jesus. Yeah, I hope I never get over that fact of what he did in my life, that we, we oftentimes become numb to this word or what he's done. Why would we ever become numb to that? I need to be reminded every week of what he's done in my life and, and what he who he is and, and the gift that he is to us. And so Easter's coming. Good Friday's coming. And that is called Good Friday. It was not good for Jesus, but it was the best day ever for you. You hear me? It's the best day ever for you. Where he took his righteousness and he said, I'm going to exchange my righteousness for your sin. I'm going to take your sin and then I'm going to take my, take my righteousness and put it on you so that you can have a relationship with God. You were cut off otherwise. That is the greatest day ever that he came and gave his life. And then on Sunday, on that day, for that representation of him saying, death can't even hold me. He had victory over it. This is not some story that you read in the Bible. This actually happened. And it's the reason we're here. Like, it's the reason we live. And I, I'm telling myself that right now. That's the reason I exist, is to make much of Jesus, of what he's done and the fact that I could have been anywhere. I could be in Ukraine right now, and they could be here. And yet I have been so blessed to hear about Jesus at an early age. And here we are right now, and you're blessed right now because you're hearing, not because of me, because of God's grace in your life that you're hearing about Jesus and his great love for you. He looked down through the ages of time, and he saw you, and he said, that young man, that young lady, that, that, lady, that, that child, Piper, she's going to hear about Jesus. That girl's going to be mine. And that's a blessing. That's a blessing. And so this week has been for me a little bit of a solemn week. I've been distracted a lot, and I feel like it's because of some of this, what God's doing even in my own life and in for here this morning. But as we look toward, uh, welcome back, Brooks. Um, <laughs> he had to go home. I asked him to go home to check on something. That was a distraction. So, <laughs> sorry, I threw him under the bus, didn't I? I really did. It's all right. Um, that's what dads are for. So he just walked all the way right in front and just, you know, could have, you know, slid in a little bit. So anyway, so this week was a solemn week for me. And this week heading up to Good Friday, even more so. I don't know if you watch the news, and I've already prayed for this and I've alluded to it, but this has made such a mark on me personally that I watch what's going on in Ukraine and it fits in really with what we're reading about, what I saw. One of the images um, that has stuck with me is a lady walking, in, running into the 
to the hospital and the paramedic is in front of her. I was carrying her child, her toddler, two-year-old little boy, and she's behind him, and you can see there's panic all over her face. And the next image was the video of her laying over his body, crying for him. And I had to walk away. Couldn't watch it. I thought that could have easily been any one of them. And so Zelensky, the president, I don't know what you think about him, but, and I didn't know much about him, but I see a guy who's really stood up and said, I'm not leaving the country. I'm here for my people. I'm, I'm Ukraine. It's for Ukraine. I'm not leaving. I'm the leader. And the leadership that he's shown in throughout this, and again, I don't know much about the politics behind that. I'm just looking at the guy. And I see a man, the other day they showed him as he's going out and surveying the, the, all the atrocities that have happened in Bucha in the suburb of Kiev. And um, they have the camera on him, and he's walking through, and then there's a point that he stops, and it kind of zooms in on him, and you can see the tears welling up in his face and his eyes, and he begins to just cry over what he sees and the tragedy that has gone on. But this parent, I mean, this goes straight into our scripture today in Luke 19, where Jesus does basically the same thing as he looks over Jerusalem. And so if you've got your Bible... And I certainly, I hope that you do. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 uh, through 44. I've already gotten emotional. and Got to have a Kleenex. Everyone come up for eight. So. Um, verse 28. I'm going to read it real quick for us, all right? Now, I'm going to read it. Don't tune out. Tune in. Sometimes we have, I have a tendency, maybe I'm the only one that does this, but tune in to what God might say to you through this, all right? Verse 28. This Palm Sunday, he's making this triumphal entry. It says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go to the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, which I think is an interesting question, if anyone asks you, why, why are you... Untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, Well, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along. They spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones, the rocks would cry out. Verse 41, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, which is a really interesting piece of scripture right there we'll talk about that he wept over it saying would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace but now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
So guys, for the sake of time, I'm going to fly through some of this. Let me set the scene. You've already, we already just read that, right? It's Palm Sunday. He's coming into the city. Let me show a picture. This is where this all happened. It's a picture of it. Up on the left is the Mount of Olives. There's the Kidron Valley in the, right down there. You see the valley, and then they're going into Jerusalem. This is um, when this happened, which I think, I was thinking about this, I really was, at last night at about 1130. The timing of this, of when Jesus did this, like everything is so intentional. Because it was during Passover. Passover is the eight-day period where the Israelites would look back and they, they would say, okay, you remember the plagues, the, the ten plagues, and the last one um, where God said, if you're going to be spared, you Israelites, then you're going to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, without any broken bones. You're going to, you're going to uh, sacrifice it, and you're going to take the blood, and you're going to put it on your doorpost. You remember this? Okay? And then that night, the angel of death would come, and if that blood was there, they were covered. But if not, it was not so good. Okay? So it was the night that they remember that, that the, he passed over them and the grace that was given to them because of the blood of the Lamb signifying what was to come, which was Jesus, was going to be the final once and for all sacrifice. I also had this thought um, last night. What if he had not come and done that? Like, where would we be even right now? It's a side note, not even in my notes, but just thinking about that. Where would we be if he had not? Because back then, that signifying that was the blood that was looking forward to the Messiah who would come. And so th this Passover thing, like I don't know. I said this in early service. It just came to me. I don't, some things I just randomly will come to me. But like if there was a big event in Melissa, like a grocery store, like really H-E-B was really going to do this. <laughs> I mean, this would be, and it was grand opening. Can you imagine what that day is going to be like? The ribbon will be that big, long, you know, a big be a chainsaw out there, and everybody's celebrating how awesome it's going to be, right? It was a big deal. It would be a big deal. Well, in Jerusalem, Passover, man, when this had happened, this was, it was no small thing. I mean, this was a massive deal. So you've got everybody coming into the city, everybody. And there are so many people who would not normally be in Jerusalem that were there that day. And you got some, you know, you got the rulers, you've got Pilate who... Um, he's representing Rome, he's the governor, and no doubt he's entering anywhere he goes. He's got the pageantry, he's got the, the horses, he's got, um, he's got his soldiers there just saying, look at, just look at me, look at me. Everybody just take a look at me. And don't you even think about an uprising against Rome because I'll squash it immediately. Then you had Herod. You remember Herod, the guy who um, was responsible for beheading John the Baptist? I don't know um, if he would be like this, but I do picture him um, doing the same thing. Look at, look at me, look how great I am, and coming into the city. And so people were used to this kind of thing, that the rulers would come with an entourage of, and they're coming with a lot of, hey, almost like royalty. Look at me, here I come. I'm a big deal here. And then there's a third one that comes into the city that day. You know who that was? It was Jesus, that's right, fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy from the book of Zechariah. And he says this, he's fulfilling. By the way, uh, do you know how many prophecies there are about Jesus? Like there, were, there are more than 60 major prophecies of him, okay? Now, there's hundreds more. And I think I talked about this one time in here. If he had just fulfilled eight of those more than 60 major prophecies, just eight of them, 
Mathematicians did this. Lee Strobel talks about this in his book. If, if he had just done eight of them, one person fulfilling eight of those, it was one chance in a one followed by 27 zeros. Do you understand that? I don't, you can't, there's not a number for that. One followed by 27 zeros. One person doing that, one chance in one with 27 zeros. That, I don't know, I'm simple-minded. Is is, that's a lot, right? But he fulfilled all of them. And one right here with him coming in on a donkey into the city. This is fulfillment of Scripture right here, fulfillment of prophecy that Zechariah had prophesied about 500 years before. Okay? So put this in today's term. What is that, 1,700? If I'm doing my math right, that's how long it had been. So generation of generation, hearing this, Jesus says, here I'm coming. I'm not coming like you think. I'm coming on a donkey, even though they have been told this. It says, see, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now what Zechariah 9.9 does not say, your Messiah is coming on a white horse with a flashing sword, leading an army to conquer your enemies. But that was, in fact, exactly what they were thinking. I don't know how. Like, the whole story that I'm going to get into with the disciples, the other followers of Jesus, all the people, I don't know what any of them were thinking because the Scripture was there. And Jesus had spent his time telling about what he was going to do. There was no mystery. And yet there he was riding on a colt and fulfilling scripture just as they had been told from generation to generation to generation this is how he's going to come jesus spent three years doing all these miracles and then here he goes into the city and yet this is, this is it just i don't know it's shocking to me a little bit when i read this and go how, how did you they're smart people how are you so clueless like it says it in scripture that's what he's going to do and by the way as I said, with other rulers, they would come, I mean, when they were going to war, I mean, it was a representation of who they were. We're coming with soldiers, we're coming with big stallions, and it, it was representative, I'm about to take over. And Jesus is there saying, uh, I do things a little bit differently. I, I, I'm coming on a cult, which, by the way, the people knew. I read some commentators this week. It was common for other rulers, when they were coming in peace, they would not come on a big stallion. They would come exactly on what Jesus was riding, which was a colt. Isn't that interesting? It, at least to me it is. I'm like, oh, some of the stuff I didn't even realize. Like, he's coming on a colt. They should know this. But that was not what they thought. Representative of that is you have people, and we'll look in the story. I just read it, but they were cheering him. And just days later, those same people, because Jesus did not come to overthrow Rome, he came in a totally different way because he didn't do what they thought they, they wanted. A few days later, they're yelling, kill him, crucify him. The fickleness of people. We want what we want. That's not what we expected. So we're going to turn on you, Jesus. Kill him. That was what it was. Totally. And so you get in this story, and I'm thinking all throughout it, as I'm looking at it, even now, thinking, how did, how did, how did you all miss it? That was not why Jesus came, but every, everyone in the story misses why he came, all right? So if you go through the story, again, let me go back and let me see if I can find with my old eyes. He says, so go into the village in front of you where an, 
where on entering you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Very specific instructions, untie it and bring it here. Now, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who went were sent away and they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said, why are you, just as he said, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Now, hear me on this, okay? Don't tune me out. I said this to our students a week or so ago. I went way too long talking in there, but I got on a roll. I'm not going to do it today. But I said this to them. If you, want, if you want Jesus, if you want the Lord God to speak to you on anything, just as a kind of a side note here on this whole passage, he will speak through circumstances and he'll speak through people. There's no doubt. He might speak through a song. But if we're not going to his word and staking our life on this, then we're missing out on what he, what he wants for us. He gave you this book. And gave, Kenny gave it for me to read the book, the word of God for him to speak to us. So when you have any issue that's going on in your life, any decision, whether minor, the smallest decision, or some massive decision of life change or something huge in your life, if you're not going to the word and listening to God through that, then you're missing God altogether. You may say, I'm going to depend on God to speak to me through what's on the radio one day. That's in a funny voice, but um, if you did that, I'm not saying this wrong. I'm saying this is the first place we go. And so when I read a story like this, uh, quite honestly, it's so easy for me just to read that story and go, all right, Jesus entered Jerusalem. All right, what's next? What's on TV? When, if we take our time, as we do in this church on Sunday morning at Ryan primarily preaches and does such a great job of going verse by verse. What's he saying? And so I could take the entire time, whatever time I have left, to focus on this part right here. I'm not going to take the whole time, but I'm going to point out a couple of things that we can miss very easily when we read this story. So the colt, Jesus gives very specific instructions. Go, go and find this colt. It's never been ridden. And, and if they ask you why you're taking it, tell them the Savior needs it. Now, if you look at the parallel passage in Matthew... There's not a whole lot there either um, that we know more than this. All we know is, is that the person who owned it or the family who owned it didn't hold back. They didn't hold back. The, oh, the, the Savior needs it. They gave it. I don't know that they've asked a bunch of questions. Hey, you think you can have it back by three? <laughs> I don't know if you could wash him down, fill it up. That'd be great. None of that. We don't know any of that. All we know is they came back with it. Which, again, if we're reading Scripture and going, just kind of cruise through it, just reading Scripture, but if we're stopping going, what could God say through even this? Guys, anytime we, when preaching here, teaching, whatever, reading, always looking for a book that was written for some people, well, it's too long, it has no application in my life, it has application we read scripture and go, how would that apply to my life? Here's how I could apply. And I could take, again, it could take a long time here. I'm not going to. But I look at the family who gave, or the person who gave that cult. It's a representation of us as followers of Christ. I think we sell short drastically when we share the gospel with people and say, just come on and you can get out of hell. Just come to Jesus and pray a prayer. When Jesus, <laughs> he says, when you come to me, it's a call to come and die. 
That's not very popular, is it? It's a call to come and die to yourself. He modeled it out. We just read Philippians, Marie read Philippians. It was, he emptied himself. He gave it as a model to us to say, it's, it's, it's the total act of just service, of saying, God, this is all you. And so when we come to him in a relationship, and we, we come to him and say, I want to begin a relationship with you, Jesus, and you begin that relationship, it is a totally, you hear me? It's a call to come and die so that you can live totally. And so whatever, and I didn't know this, and I was at a young boy at the time. I just wanted to go to heaven. Talk about that in a little bit too. Um, but I just wanted to go to heaven. I didn't even realize the cost to following Jesus was I relinquish everything, everything. All my dreams that I had for my life, all the plans that I had, all the things and hopes that I wanted to do, it goes through Jesus and Jesus, what do you want from my life? Everything that I own in, in my mine and Tammy's bank account, everything, it's, it's his. How do you want to use the money and resources you've given to me, God? Because they're yours. I'm just a steward. I'm just a manager of what's already yours. It's all yours. But so much of the time, we are like, no, no, this is for me. And we, so little, just on a financial standpoint, which we don't talk much about money here, but so, so much of the time in, in evangelical churches, so few people actually give generously. We just don't. And it comes back to, this is mine. Well, how much do I have to give to God? Instead of going, God, this is all yours. How do, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with this? When it comes to being generous with encouragement, God, it, it, you've, you've blessed me. I'm in relationship with people. How can I speak encouragement to other people? And this is just a little note. you got our staff, all of our staff. They work hard. Look, you can't get enough encouragement. You can't. But I tell you what they do get. They get discouragement in all forms. Ryan, and I preached this, this week, this Sunday, it takes some work, hours. I know that's his job. I know what Kyle does and Jess do. I go through all the list. Shelly, all these people that they work hard. How much do we encourage them to say, Jesus, you've changed my life in such a way that I'm, I'm not even my own. So I'm going to bless people whenever you call me to. When I see this person, say, oh, thank you for what you do. Something of this. So I'm kind of getting off on this. But you see this just from that one little bit in Scripture to the family just says, uh, that has the, the donkey and says, here, take it. When we come to our relationship with Christ, I need to be reminded, me, and probably you as well, that everything we have, everything you have is not yours. It's a call to come and relinquish everything. It's all yours, my home, my plans. God, do you want me to... We have Michelle Harp, Craig um, Kirkhoff. Michelle just went to deliver supplies to Ukraine. We have uh, Craig going to Zambia. Um, we got a group going to the Dominican Republic to say, God, you're at work around the world. You want me to go? My answer is yes. It's on the table. You put it on the map. What would you like me to do? What would you like? I'm here for you. I don't know how I'm going to afford it. You will provide, though, God. If it's your will, you'll make it happen. I'm following you. So if we stop right there in that scripture and say, I'm not going to rush by it. How does this apply to my life? Is it God? The answer is yes. The answer is always yes. I don't hold anything back. I'll give it all to you. Okay? Second thing on, well, as I move on, I can't even get to that. But as we go on through the, through the story, if you, I think in verse 35 it talks about this. 
that they get the donkey and Jesus, they bring the donkey to Jesus. Now, in a typical king, you would have uh, an ornate saddle and it would, it would be, have purple on it, most likely even during that time. Um, it would be dressed out and there were, again, there would be other stallions there because this is the king after all, right? Well, disciples come and this is easy to miss if you just run through the story. But the disciples are like, this is King Jesus. We ain't got no saddle. So what's the best we can do? And they start taking off those cloaks, their robe, like you would see in biblical times, and they place it over him. Now, this doesn't happen in Matthew. They don't indicate, he doesn't indicate this, but in Luke, it's very specific. And they put him onto the, uh, the, the colt. They did. It was just a display of, we're honoring you, Jesus. We don't have much. I don't have much. And I don't have all that you need and all that you deserve. We're going we're gonna to bless you. And you don't have to try and we're going to lift you up because you deserve honor. How much do I do that? God, reverence him and his name. I hear, oh my God, from people. And it makes me cringe because that's the Savior of the world, the God that came after you and me. We reverence his name in everything that we do. And so if you go through the story, again, I could talk for a long time on this, of every element of this story, but as you go through it, you're thinking, man, the disciples have, put yourself in the disciples' shoes at this moment, okay? Y'all with me? No one's fading off on me, right? You got 12 disciples there who have left their jobs to be with him for three years. That, I, when I do the calculation, it's over a 1,000 days that they were with him day in and day out. And they had been with him to see all kinds of um, miracles. You think about, I mean, just go through the miracles. They, he walked on water, uh, the lepers he healed, Jairus' daughter that uh, was raised to life, um, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, all of these different miracles. And there's Jesus sitting on the colt, and they're like, this is happening. This is really happening. Like, have you ever been somewhere or sometime in your life and been like, you cannot believe something's happening? Like, it's a good thing, though. It's like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I used to feel that way about the Cowboys, but nothing ever happens, and I've turned on them. I don't even care anymore. But I could relate to 2011 Mavericks because I've been a lifelong. When they won, I was like, I can't believe it. I, I can't believe they're winning. On, that's such a small scale. These guys knew what was coming for Jesus, that he was going to be the king. They misunderstood. I don't know how, but they misunderstood. But they've got him on the donkey, and, man, they start, they start a little bit of hoop, hooping and hollering. And I, I wrote down some notes. Let me see if I can find them. Yes. What, we're going, what was going through the disciples' minds? And just for a few of them, I was thinking this. Judas, what was on his mind in that time? Probably, oh, good old Judas, or bad old Judas, he's probably getting an earthly kingdom. Hmm, what's going to come for me as he's riding the donkey and people are getting excited? Yes, I'm going to get myself an earthly kingdom. Yes, I am. Peter is probably thinking at that time, well, it was worth it, I think, to, to leave the fishing industry. I think it was a good choice for me. I'm here with the king. It's happening right now. I got my sword in case I need to take somebody out, though. Right? Thomas, I can relate to Thomas because there's no doubt. He's like, was that really a donkey? 
Has it ever been written? I'm not so sure about this. A bit, bit skeptical of the whole thing. James and John thinking about how he would be crowned king in Jerusalem. How is this all going to go down? And who will sit at his right or left? You imagine thinking that? All the, all the things that are going on in their heads that they've seen all of these miracles and they get to that point where he's going into Jerusalem. And yet they spend all of this time and they so clearly have missed the whole thing. There's a parade of people around, gathering all these people around, and this is a pivotal point in the story. If you look at it, again, you can read it and just be done with it. But if you read the story and you see, ah, oh, verse 41, what happens at this point when all these people are in, this is a happy moment. The king is coming. He's going into the city. We're about to take over. And then what happens in verse 41? Jesus stops. The cult stops. And kind of like I said about Zelensky, zoom in on his face. In the midst of all this happiness and cheering and everybody thinking, it's happening. It's finally happening. Hundreds of years, 700 years of prophecy from Isaiah. We're actually here. It's going to happen. Yes. And you focus in on Jesus' face. This is what you see in verse 41. He says, and when he drew near and he saw the city. You remember that picture? He's looking up at the city. He wept over it. He starts crying. No one cries in a parade, do they? He's looking at the city, and they look at Jesus like, this is crazy. What's wrong? He wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on that day the things that have made for, for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they'll not leave one stone upon another in you and because you did not know the time of your visitation. In the midst of all this happiness, Jesus spent all of this time. I feel like this sometimes with certain people in my life, maybe my kids or whatever, you've experienced this, maybe with me, I don't know. I just thought I told you. You still don't get it. Why do you not understand Sometimes I don't get it. I mean, you know, whatever you're trying to explain. But Jesus had spent his whole life up to this point in three years of ministry with the ghost people who were closest to, a, to him. They saw the miracles. They, they knew the prophecy. All of these were lining up. How could they miss it? Seriously. Like, I'm, I'm getting intense on that. Like, it blows my mind. How could you miss it? And so the application for me, even in this moment that I'm standing here, I've been in church my entire life. Like, I was born on a Thursday, I think, and on Sunday I was in church. I don't remember a time I didn't go to church and came to know Christ at, just as a little boy. All my life I've been in church. These people had been with him. They had been with Jesus. And yet they missed the whole point of why he came. Jesus looking at Jerusalem going, he knows what's coming for them. If only the nation of Israel, they had the opportunity to show Rome something new and different. But they missed it altogether. They didn't understand Jesus. They didn't understand his mission. I don't know why. Just part of his plan, I suppose. How different their lives could have been if they just recognized him for who he was. And here's the thing, the application for us right now as I wrap up. That same King Jesus who was going in, the one who spent all the time with them, 
and they missed it. Could I, a little boy who grew up in church all my life, serving, doing things in ministry, is it possible that I could miss the point of why he came? Is it possible? Is it possible that you have missed the point potentially? Maybe at times or seasons you come back and go, oh, and I get it. But I think in our American society, our culture within the Christian church is that we have turned Christianity in. We have turned the following of Jesus into simply this. Let me get out of hell. Don't ask anything else from me. Just give me the benefits of following you, Jesus. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to that bad place, so let me go to heaven. And I will tell you, if that's your mentality, hear me by listening. If that's your mentality, that, that mentality, that belief system is not found anywhere in the New Testament. You will not find people who are casual Christians who say, just let me get out of hell, but don't ask for anything else. All I find in, in the New Testament, when I read the book of Hebrews, when I look at chapter 11 in the hall of faith of people who gave their lives for Jesus, who were actually sawed in two and said, Jesus, you are worth following at all costs. No matter what it takes, I'm relinquishing everything to follow you. That when you call me to do something, the answer is yes. That they live with purpose and meaning. That church for them, coming on a Sunday, it's not an option. That's not, not getting to legalism. But man, I need to come here on Sunday morning and I need to be reminded of why I live for him. Because I get distracted but the American version of Christianity, of just cruising along, of casual Christianity, of your faith not costing you anything, of not sacrificing the God for the gospel, of coasting into retirement and coasting into eternity and saying, here I am, Jesus, I coasted all the way through. I don't want to get before Jesus one day and, him go, Man, and have regrets of the way I live my life. I want to see Jesus for who he is. It's a real life breathing relationship. That he changed the way I live my life. That he changes the way I live everything I do. The way I spend my money. The way I spend my time. All my resources. Everything I am. And so you sit here in church on a Sunday morning with all of us here every week potentially. You're here every week and you hear this. Could it be that you've allowed your faith to sit back and just coast when Jesus is saying, that is not why I came. You missed the point. Can't you have missed it? I came to live in you. I came to use you. You're in a relationship with people. I placed you in the neighborhood where you live for a purpose. I put you in a relationship with people that live next to you that you work with. I put you in a relationship with people when you go to the store. You have an encounter with them, but your eyes are down. You're not on me saying, how can I be used for the kingdom? That there's opportunities to go and serve in our city or around the world. Does this say, no, it's not for me. That's really, I don't know. No, God called all of us to be involved in that. That's the Jesus that we know, right? That's the Jesus who's looking up in Jerusalem and he's weeping. He's saying, they don't get it. Boy, I don't want to stand before him one day and say, I just didn't get it. I made it here. I'm good. But I really missed it and I missed out. Man, I don't want to get to the end of my life. I don't want you to get to the end of your life and go, Got the way I live my life. I was thinking about this with Piper. When the, the greatest thing you can do, the greatest anything, if you're a parent, the greatest thing you can do as a parent for your kids is to live a life 
that is completely sold out to him, to be surrendered to him, to show tangible examples of them of what it means to follow Jesus, that sometimes you make sacrifices. Sometimes he calls you to move. Sometimes he calls you to do things that the world would say is crazy. But that's the Jesus that we know. We say we can trust you even when it doesn't make sense that you would show your kids this Bible is not just some stinking book, but it's the book that you live your life by, the one that God Almighty, that you had an appointment with him this morning. I met with Almighty God, and he spoke to me through his word. Why would you not want that? Why would you not want it? Through his word, just let him speak to you. He's worthy. Guys, Good Friday is coming. That's the best day ever for you. He gave his life. And we're going to sing in just a moment. Matt, you guys can come on up. Now listen to me as they come up. Don't be distracted. We're going to sing a song about him being worthy. That is an understatement, a total, complete understatement. When we look at what Jesus did, when he looked down through the annals of time, and he looked and he saw you and he said, you are an enemy against me. You are an enemy against me. And you're, you would spit in my face, and yet he would call you and say, but I love you, and I'm coming after you. That he would look up Jerusalem and say, they don't get it, but I'm still going to go. I'm still going to go to the cross. And on Friday when we wake up and we're like, that's a good Friday. Oh, it's a great Friday. Thank you, Jesus, that you'll wake up and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Make my heart believe. Make my heart believe so much so that I can't be the same. I won't look like everybody else because you've so changed my life. I live differently than everybody else. Not for my glory, but because Jesus changed my life. So we're going to sing, God, you're worthy. You're worthy. He is worthy of your lives. I asked Matt this week to sing this song because I thought it fit so perfectly. And it's based on Revelation 4 and 5. So Revelation 4, that whole thing is a scene that's set before the throne of God. And John, who wrote this book, is looking into the future. God allows him to see into the future. And it involves, if you know Christ, you're in the story here. Okay? Chapter 5, it begins by describing a scroll that's in the hand of God. It's two-sided, and um, it's written, it's sealed seven times over. And the scroll seems to symbolize the judgment of God on sin and on wickedness. And then it picks up verse 1. Let me read this to you. And then I saw, John says this, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was worthy to open the scroll and look into it. John starts crying because there's no one there to open the scroll. Who's worthy to do this? And verse 5 says, And one of the elders said to me, Oh, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and at seven seals. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they began to sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, tongue, and people and nation. 
and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And then I looked, John says, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And this is where you come in. And I picture this. So David, I'm seeing there. I'm seeing you there. I, I, I'm, I'm seeing Don. I'm seeing you there. I'm seeing all of you friends looking around. I'm seeing my mother who's already passed. I see people of saints of age who long, long ago are gone. I'm seeing Chris, you're there with me. We're looking at each other. It's happening. We're singing this. And it says this. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him, this is us, we're going to be there saying this, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's what we're talking about. That's what's going to be done. Because of what he does on Friday this week, we recognize that, that he would give his life. That's the reason he was worthy. That's the reason he will be worthy to open the seals and to take the punishment and all the judgment of God upon himself and then to place righteousness on you. Man, that is worth singing about. And so when we sing worthy, these are not just words, man. That's the heart of who I am to say, God, you're worthy of my life. You're worthy of my life. And he's worthy of your life. And so when you sing this, man, don't let this just be a song. And we leave here in just a few minutes. You'll go out and you're like, man, worthy worthy are you not just come to church on Sunday and give a little bit here and there but God everything in my life it's yours let me follow you in every way making much of Jesus with your life and go on and on let's see all right thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.